The other thing I was going to mention is in this series that we set up, this You, Me, We series, we asked ourselves the question, who is around our area here that we could bring in as a guest speaker that would really paint the picture well in a certain area of sexuality? And uh, right away, we thought of uh, Daniel Komori, and he's our, le- he's our guest speaker this morning, and I'll introduce him again here in a moment. And uh, Daniel is part of this ministry called Journey Canada, and he is the uh, Associate uh, National Director of Journey and uh, based in Calgary. These are amazing people. And a couple years ago, we took our entire staff up to Edmonton to take in the same-sex seminar uh, version of that, which we're putting on as a church for free on March 10th. Some of us need to come to that and get equipped and understand this, and some of us need it to process. So we encourage you to come out on that special night. Daniel is a well-known guy in our district family, and uh, we love him, and we love what the Journey leadership team does. I think these people are absolute heroes of the faith. And when I heard what they had presented in Edmonton, I went, wow, we've got to partner more with people like this. Because sometimes the church doesn't know how to address these things. And we need help, and we need voices, and we need materials and resources, and we need leaders who have painted a picture of what wholeness looks like in this area. So with all that in mind, I want you to honor with me Daniel Kamori. So stand up, and let's cheer loudly for this guy, all right? He's awesome. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Good morning. Uh, good to be here. Uh, second service at uh, Airdrie Alliance. I've actually never been here before, and I don't really know many people, but I actually just realized a few weeks ago that uh, a good buddy of mine that I've known for about 20 years, Dimitri, uh, comes here, and he's the Sorso coffee guy. So, yeah, you guys like Sorso? So. Visited him. I was like, hey, I'm speaking in Airdrie. Where are you going? He's like, Airdrie. I'm like, oh, that's where I'm, Airdrie Alliance. I'll be here. So I know one person or a few people. Okay. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, part of uh, your series here on You, Me, We, a series on relationships, sex, marriage, and singleness. Uh, in my opinion, uh, the church needs to be talking about these issues way more because our culture is constantly talking about it. I mean, you and I, after we leave this place, whatever we do, get on our phones, emails, Netflix, television, we're going to be bombarded with so many messages about sexuality, about what fulfillment is, about what, are, what we should do with our desires. And so we need to be talking about the, those things within the church, be educated in the church, but also learn to deal with and handle some of the desires that you and I have uh, in our lives. So I'm glad you guys are doing this. Uh, for myself, I work for an organization called uh, Journey Canada. Uh, our mission is to help people experience uh, hope and life through knowing Jesus and their sexuality and knowing Jesus in who we are as relational people. So broadly speaking, what we do as a ministry is try to help men and women in the church to really find a safe place to begin to unpack who they are as sexual and relational people and the struggles that are there. Now, that's oftentimes something, if I said, who wants to do that? You guys will be like, oh, maybe not me, maybe later. Uh, do you have a certain just book I can read and take home for myself? Uh, but we try to provide a community, a place where you can actually do this alongside other people. Uh, so we do this in various kinds of ways. We have um, uh, discipleship courses. Our main course is actually a 20-plus week course. Uh, starts in the fall, goes all the way till spring. We have three more weeks left of our 22-week course uh, that's held in uh, Calgary. Uh, Rock Point Church actually uh, hosts it. So this is a long process that we walk people through because some of these issues in our lives really go deep. Uh, they have deep roots, and there's a lot of stuff involved that's not just 
our struggles as relational people. It's struggles in our identity. It's struggles from our past. It's healing from past wounding. It's looking at uh, past choices we've made. It's looking at things that have happened to us. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that takes time to unpack. And so for us as a ministry, we try to help people to, uh, in a safe place, really unpack those things uh, over time. Uh, I'm based in Calgary, and our ministry is actually uh, across the country uh, from Vancouver all the way to Halifax. Uh, so we have courses uh, all around the country. In a simple way, what is it that uh, our ministry does journey Canada? Uh, Jesus said this uh, about himself in Luke chapter 4 when he talked about his calling and what he came to the earth to do. Jesus opened up a scroll and he read this text and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what uh, we do as a ministry in Journey. Um, and areas of sexuality, relationships, intimacy, that's, those are a lot of areas where people uh, experience captivity, uh, blindness. They're oppressed. Uh, I didn't share this in the first service, but um, you know, I, I speak to lots of different groups. And uh, about two weeks ago, I spoke to a large uh, Alliance church in Calgary to their youth group. This youth group had in total uh, 84 kids, so junior high and high school. And I did a talk on uh, pornography, and I did a... Uh, anonymous survey with them and ask them to fill out their, uh, their gender and uh, whether or not they're in junior high and high school. And one of the questions was, do you think you might be uh, addicted to pornography? Uh, the boys, junior high was uh, high 30s, high school was in the low 40s already in, in uh, junior high and high school saying, I think I might be addicted to porn. Uh, with high school girls, it was at 40%. 40% of high school girls saying, I think I might be addicted to pornography. I mean, these are big issues, right? It's not just out there. It's not just this generation. Sometimes I go to churches and they say it's the young people and some, sometimes people say it's the older people that need to hear it. It's all of us, right? We're bombarded by all this. Um, so I'm glad to be here. Uh, what I want to talk about today is um, seeking sexual wholeness, finding sexual wholeness, seeking, finding, hopefully both. I want to talk about... Um, what does it mean that God's made us as sexual and relational beings? So I want to just look a little bit uh, biblically. What does it mean that God's made us as sexual and relational beings? How has brokenness af affected that? How has sin come to really destroy and twist how God's made us as relational and sexual people? And then God's invitation really for all of us to experience more healing and wholeness uh, in those particular areas. So I want to begin here by, um, let me just pray for us as we, as we dive in. So, Heavenly Father, as we uh, reflect on your design of us and as we reflect on our own lives, as we reflect on our own longings and desires, would you give us wisdom? May we not fear the things you speak to us. May we not fear the things you say to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is uh, sexuality from a biblical perspective? Why did God make you and I as sexual and relational beings? Uh, as, as Sandy said, uh, the Bible actually has a lot to say about sexuality. Um, I grew up thinking the, the, all the Bible had was negativity towards sexuality, and oftentimes that's the way Christianity is portrayed in our culture, is that we're negative about sexuality, or we're against everything about sexuality, when in fact... Uh, the Bible has a very positive vision of sexuality. You read, you open up your Bible, read, you know, chapter 1, you'll find sexuality. Chapter 1 and 2, we're talking about sexuality right from the beginning. 
God invented sexuality. It was in his mind when he created us to think about making us as sexual and relational beings. This is God's idea. So, in Genesis, um, I'm not going to ask you to open, a, open it up, but many of you know when you begin to read the opening uh, few verses of Genesis, the first chapter, God's creating the world, right? God creates the, the, the earth, the, the land, the sun, moon, and stars, veg- vegetables, uh, animals, etc., okay? And there's this constant refrain that happens every time he makes something. He makes something, and he, then he says... It is good, yeah. He has a sense of, like, this is great what I'm making. I love the way this has turned out. It is good. It is good. But it comes to uh, Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 18. Uh, After he creates uh, Adam, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable for him. So God had created Adam as a solitary being in relationship to him, right? Adam was connected to God, perfect relationship. And yet God said, that in and of itself, that on its own is not good. We're not made to be solitary beings just connected to God. Uh, and so we see that uh, God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he took a rib, and he fashioned a woman out of this rib. And so this is where we see uh, in Genesis uh, early on uh, sexual differentiation. Male and female, he created us. He created us as sexual beings, as distinctly male, female, and as people who actually have a desire for connection. God's made us to not just connect to Him, but to want to connect with others. Now, this is part of what it means to be made in God's image. God made us as in His image, and God Himself is actually community. He exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perpetual relationship in and of Himself. He is relationship. So when He made you and I, He makes us as people who actually desire relationship, long for relationship. We hunger for that. We ache for that. We long for it. Anybody here long for connection, long for community, right? Some of the best things in life, right, are friendships, intimacy, being known, being loved, being cared for. God designed us that way. Uh, There's a quote I like that says, sexuality is the creator's ingenious way of drawing us out of ourselves. Many of us, maybe we'd be pulled to want to be isolated, but God said, no, I'm making you as a being that's going to long, that's going to desire, that's going to hunger for connection. We're made that way. Those are good things God designed us with those desires. Now, that means a lot of things when I say God made us as relational sexual beings. It's not just God made us uh, for marriage or that our only destiny is marriage, but God made us for all different levels of connection. He made us uh, to desire friendship, companionship, intimacy, physical touch, community, extended family. There's lots of layers of and expressions of how we want to connect and how God made us and designed us to experience fulfillment. There's all these different levels of relationships. It's not just you're made for uh, marriage, and so unless you're married, you're living half human. That's not the vision. It's we're made for all different types of relationships, okay? all different levels of relationship. That's a biblical, a really brief view of a biblical view of sexuality. God's designed us for connection, intimacy, and but we live in a culture that doesn't really talk about it in those terms. Our, our culture is really obsessed uh, with sex itself. Uh, I don't know how many of you read uh, the Cosmo covers when you're shopping at Superstore, waiting in line there. My, my kids are old enough to read, and, you know, big, bold letters all the time. Like, you need more sex, or better, you know, 46 new ways to have sex, right? It's just this constant emphasis on just, you need to be having sex or you're not alive, right? You, sex is kind of everything. Our culture really reduces down 
fulfillment into sexual terms. And so it, it, our, through advertising, through media, we're constantly being told, you need to be having sex in order to be alive. Uh, that's really reducing down fulfillment into, very, into a, a few kind of... Um, into that particular expression. Um, Ronald Rollheiser said this, popular culture today teaches that one cannot be whole without being healthily sexual. And that's correct. However, for the most part, it thinks of sexuality only as having sex. That is a tragic reduction. One can have a lot of sex and still lack real love, community, family, friendship, and creativity. Right? You can be having a lot of sex and be lonely, be depressed, not feel connected. Sex should not be asked all by itself to be responsible for community, friendship, family, and delight in our lives. Uh, and yet, we're living in a culture that constantly tells us those things, that's constantly giving us messages that tell us, you need to be having sex. If you're single, you're, you're, you're not going to be happy because you're not having sex. You need to be having greater sex, better sex, because everybody else that, out there is having this awesome sex. Um, and it's really confusing in our culture to know what does sex mean? What does love mean? What is fulfillment? We're bombarded by some of this. But, you know, I, I don't think we can just sit in the church and say, yeah, you know, our culture is really screwed up out there. Yeah, people don't have it right. Or to just say, you know, I just, I'm the way I am because I'm just living in this culture. We can't just blame culture as well. Because the Bible says you and I have sin in us, indwelling sin. The power of sin is at work. Sin has so twisted us, even in our own desires. It actually starts within our own hearts. Our own desires have become twisted uh, along the way. Our drives, our passions, our longings for connection become disordered, right? The good things that God's given us, that, that good hunger that we want, we yearn for, that can express itself in lots of twisted ways. Uh, C.S. Lewis had this great uh, imagery that he used um, to talk about the connection between who we are as spiritual beings and as sexual beings. So why don't you all to uh, stand up. I'm going to have you um, embody some of this. C.S. Lewis used this great term, uh, this great image, this imagery to describe it. He said, at core, you and I, connected to God, are made to stand upright before him. So to stand as tall as you can, right, as though there's a rod of iron in your spine. Okay? So stand upright. Okay? God designed us to, first of all, stand upright before him. So kind of turn your gaze heavenwards, okay? It's God who defines us. God wants to pour out his life into us. God gives us our sense of worth. God gives us a sense of dignity as men and as women. He wants to fill us full with his presence. Okay, just close your eyes. I'm just going to say a few things over you. You are made in God's image. And God himself wants to pour his own presence into you. To fill you to overflowing with the knowledge of his deep love for you. He wants his love to, to rest at the deepest place in who you are and to flow out from that place. That your physical bodies would be filled with his love. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, what C.S. Lewis says is, if we're standing upright before God, we can actually look beside each other at the people around us, and we can actually live in honorable relationships with people. We can look at people with dignity, 
We can serve other people. We can, yeah, I can kind of do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of this. You can look at the people around you and live in actually healthy relationships with people because you're actually rooted in God, right? You're rooted in God, and you, actually, you're, you can actually live in healthy expressions of intimacy and care. Now, now sit down. Now, what happens with the fall or with uh, the introduction of sin is that instead of looking upwards to God, we actually turn away from God. We're hiding from God. We're fearful from God. So instead of looking up to God and finding our fulfillment, we actually turn away from Him. And oftentimes we take those desires, right? The, the desires that God and His infinite nature can fill, we take those infinite desires and then we get to place them on finite things like people, right? People are finite. They can't give you infinity. We were made for infinity. We take those desires. Instead of connecting to God, we look at people and we say, you tell me who I am. Can, can you make me feel good about myself? I need you to give me a sense of my worth and value. I don't know who I am unless you tell me. I don't know who I am unless, until, unless you constantly compliment me or affirm me, right? And so instead of our relationship with God and people being in balance, we twist away and we begin to demand from people what they actually can't give us. No human person can define you, can give you that love you, hung, you hunger for. And so instead of your relationship with God and people being in healthy balance, you begin to cross over boundaries. You begin to demand from people. We get possessive of, possessive of people, right? You tell me who I am. It's your fault that I'm not happy, right? We begin to manipulate people, bit bitter towards other people for not meeting our needs, right? This is true, you know, for single people and married. I mean, married people, your spouse cannot meet all of your needs, right? Single people, if somebody looks at you and said, you're going to meet all my needs, run away from that person, okay? Right? It's not healthy, right? Uh, but we take those desires and we, and we turn them onto people. And what happens, we actually cross boundaries, right? We hurt people because we cross boundaries to demand things from people. We take from people what they can't give us. And many of us maybe have been the recipients of abuse in our life where other people have tried to take things from us that weren't their right to take, right? And we've experienced that kind of wounding, that kind of pain, Right? So all of us, we, we're broken in our relationship with God, right? And our desire for, and relationship with people has become twisted. And our sexuality, the way we express our sexuality has become twisted as well. How many people here struggle in your relationship with God to some capacity? Right? Just like 10%. Wow. Done a good job, Sandy. <laughs> I don't know even know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. Everyone's like, no, I'm good with God. Everything's perfect. How many people here struggle to some degree in your relationship with God? Put up your hand. Okay? And how many, people, how many of you here struggle in some ways in the way you express yourself relationally, sexually, the way you want to give love to people and receive love? That that's a struggle for you in some capacity, right? Are all of us sexually broken in some way? Broken in the way God's made us as image bearers, the way we're made to connect, right? All of us, I think, right? Let me tell you a bit about um, my own journey uh, in my own brokenness, because um, this can remain theoretical, but it can't remain theoretical. Uh, we, all, we all have our own lives. We all have our own personal histories. Um, I was born and raised uh, in Calgary. Uh, my parents were uh, immigrants from Japan. Uh, in the, they came in the early 70s. They had 500 bucks and one person's phone number, and they landed in Calgary, and they've been there ever since. Uh, so I was born and raised in Calgary. I'm a Calgary kid. Uh, but in my family growing up, uh, there was definitely no talk of uh, sex and, no talk, and really very little um, emotional intimacy. Uh, my parents provided for us but they never gave any emotional or physical intimacy. So I've never seen my parents kiss. I've never seen them hug. I've never seen my parents hold hands. I've never heard my parents say, I love you. I've never seen that for them with each other, and I've never experienced them 
uh, expressing that to me. Uh, so to this day, so I've kind of grown a little bit in terms of like how to hug people. So even when I go today to like hug one of my parents, they're kind of frozen in whatever position they're in. Like I'm, I start to approach and they're like, oh, and then, you know, they're just frozen. Uh, that was just kind of the, the atmosphere of my family growing up. I heard a joke once about um, a Japanese man who was uh, sitting at the dinner table and he was looking across at his wife and he realized how much he loved her that he almost told her. Okay? That was my family. That was my family. And maybe it was yours too. You're like, I'm not Japanese, but that happened in my family too. Um, you know, just not really saying anything, like not actually verbally expressing it or physically expressing it. Just kind of, I just, I know they love me because they're my parents. Um, and that kind of atmosphere, though, would really come to affect me because uh, when I was, I'm the youngest of four kids. When I was uh, 12 years old uh, and I finished uh, grade six, the summer that I finished grade six, my oldest brother, who graduated high school, uh, drowned the summer he graduated. He went to uh, William Aberhart High School. Uh, he drowned that summer, um, a total shock, and that really messed me up as a 12-year-old kid. Uh, 12 years old, just finished grade six, transitioning to junior high. Um, yeah, my world fell apart in that moment, uh, and really nobody was there to really care for me. Uh, I don't have a single memory of my family uh, grieving about my brother dying. Uh, I don't have a single memory of my dad ever crying about my brother dying. Uh, and so what I did as a 12-year-old kid was, um, because there was nobody there to, to comfort me, nobody was there to care for me, I just stuffed away my emotions. I stuffed away my pain. Um, I think I cried the, brother, the day my brother died, uh, but uh, after that, I just shut it all down um, because it was too painful. Uh, it hurt too much. I did it unconsciously. I wasn't consciously doing it. Uh, but I just shut myself off because it was just too much. And nobody was really there to help me process my emotions, process my pain, express my pain or anything. Uh, I was so shut down emotionally that uh, by the time of my brother's funeral, I didn't even cry at my own brother's funeral because I was so emotionally detached. Uh, not a good place to be for a young man heading into puberty, right? Separated from his own heart, not knowing himself, uh, emotionally just dead. Um, but that's where I was heading into puberty, time uh, in our lives where uh, there's a growth of hormones, growth of desires. How many of us like junior high? Right? None, of, none of us, right? Looking at your face, you know, oxy pads, all that kind of stuff. Um, an awkward time of life, right? Of trying to figure out who you are. How do I fit in? Who am I? What peer groups that I fit in, like how do we have intimacy, how do you have good friends, all that kind of stuff, because all that stuff is stirring up in you. And for me, I headed into that period really broken and not really knowing how to do that. I, I remember looking kind of at people doing that kind of intimacy thing, and I was like, I don't know, what, that, what, what is that? Because I was so detached. And it was in that time in my life that I found pornography. Um, I'd probably seen it uh, before then. But because of the circumstances in my life, I was drawn to it. I was pulled into it. There was something about the images that I saw in pornography that just totally wrapped me up. Now, it makes sense for me as an adult now looking back. Yeah, it makes sense why I was. I mean, I was this little kid who I just, you know, wanted escape from my pain, even for a moment. I wanted to forget about the trauma in my life. I wanted to, I wanted to feel something, even for a bit. I... I just want to escape at times from my life, right? And that's what first drew me into um, pornographic uh, images. What I saw there was some kind of intimacy, at least, some kind of expression, some kind of warmth, um, and I was drawn in. 
That for me began this long relationship with pornography that would last over years. Because not only did I begin to turn to it, but it started to become a habit. It began to turn into an addiction for me. It began to be something that I couldn't stop. Now, I grew up uh, going to church, and so I knew pornography was wrong. I knew you shouldn't use sexuality like that. You shouldn't use people like that. You shouldn't be doing that, you know. Uh, And when I say pornography, it was pornography mixed with masturbation, with fantasy, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I knew that it was wrong. I felt guilty, and so I remember actually trying to... uh, get rid of my first two pornographic magazines that I had because I didn't like how I felt. I didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't like how it affected my life with God, all that kind of stuff. So I remember grabbing my first uh, two pornographic magazines. Don't worry, it's just the annual report. (laughs) So I, uh, yeah, don't worry, annual report. Okay, so I grabbed my first two pornographic magazines and I remember, I remember like I hated it. I hated how, how I felt. And so I put it under my shirt, and I went uh, in the alley of my house. I grew up in Ranchlands, if any knew Ranchlands. Threw it down on the ground, and I had lighter fluid. I don't know why I was in grade 8. Lighter fluid. <laughs> Poured lighter fluid on it. And then in my mind, I thought, I just want to get rid of this. I hate, I hate this. So I lit it on fire, but, and I thought it was just going to like blow up or something. But obviously, it's just two magazines thick. It just started to smoke, right? My neighbor started to come out of his house. <laughs> I was doing this in the middle of the day. I don't know what I was thinking. And as, when, I, when I realized he was coming out, I just, I don't think I thought about it, I just started to walk away, pretending like I didn't know what was going on. And as I walked away, away I remember him saying, hey, what are you doing? And as he said that, I kind of wanted like the ground to open up and to disappear, right? And I remember the first thing I said in my heart was, I hope he doesn't tell my dad. I hope he doesn't tell my dad. And I felt so much shame. Kind of in that moment of, and I, and I actually didn't stop, I just kept walking, and, and kind of like seeing his eyes in the back of my head, right, just looking at me, this kind of long walk of shame. And it was almost like I had this um, dirty, wet blanket just kind of over me, just covering me of shame, right? I don't want my dad to know about this. I don't want anybody to know about this. And for me, that kind of, those are kind of vows where I kind of made this, this hidden place in my life where nobody was going to know about this struggle uh, in my life. The reality is, um, I tried to get rid of my pornography that day, um, but my hunger for intimacy was still there. Those God-given desires for intimacy and connection that I did not know how to express. And so I began looking for pornography again within a week. Right? I was hungry, I was desperate for something. And, that, and so that was this back and forth that I constantly have in my life of finding pornography, using pornography, getting rid of it, and then wanting it again. And I want this back and forth and, you know, telling God, I don't want to do this, and then doing it. I don't want to do this, doing it. And eventually I just began, you know, I hated pornography, and then I just began to hate myself. Like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me for even wanting this that I hate, right? It was very much like Romans 7 where Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. Even though I know God's law, I see something else at work in the members of my body, right? Waging war within me. I don't even want to do it, and yet I find myself doing it, right? That was kind of where I was stuck. Now, I grew up in church, um, and my church didn't talk about sexuality, or if it did, it was always about the negative aspects of sexuality, so all the things you don't do. How many people grew up in church and knew what not to do? They're the do-nots, right? And that's, what I can, that's all I grew up with, and so I thought, okay, there's something bad about sexuality in general. There's something bad about desire in general. Um, so I didn't hear about uh, sexuality, I always heard about it as something that people outside the church struggled with. Also in my experience of church, I never heard people talking about the ongoing struggle with sin. Right? 
And the testimonies I always heard in church were, um, I used to be bad. I used to do these bad things. Uh, usually not sexual things. People don't confess that. I used to steal stuff, right? And then, what? I, I gave my life to Jesus, or Jesus came to me. And then now I'm serving him on the missions field or something. And we're like, oh, amen, you know, praise God kind of a thing. It's kind of that, that, but that was the kind of general story. Like, I used to be this, then something happened, and then now I'm, I'm, I'm free, right? And so sitting, for me, sitting in the pews and hearing these stories, I was like, okay, like, that's not happening for me. Um, I've prayed about this. I pray, I've tried to burn. I've tried to get rid of it. I've cried about it, and yet it's still there. There's something wrong with me. Because I'm, I'm continuing to struggle with sin no matter what I do. Uh, and not only is it sin, it's sexual sin, right? I must be really screwed up because um, nobody else is struggling with this kind of stuff. And so for me, because nobody was talking about it in church, uh, for me, my experience of church was two different worlds. There was the world of faith, church, Bible study, uh, you know, summer camps, fellowship, all that kind of stuff was over here. But that was totally separate from struggles with pornography, how I felt about myself, shame, my insecurity. Those two worlds never came together because I never saw them coming together in what I saw in church. Nobody ever talked about, brought those things. So I never, I didn't dare bring those things together. And so I lived these two, this kind of separate life. Now I tried different things to stop over the years. Um, you know, burning ceremonies, praying. Maybe it's just gonna, I got to do my devotions every day. You know, all the, you know, little things that I'd heard in church about, you know, how to, how to get better with God. But eventually, um, I hit rock bottom uh, in my life, not just with pornography, but in general. Uh, by the end of high school, uh, I was a daily drug user. Uh, you know, I was weekend binge drinking all the time, partying, porn addict, all this kind of stuff. And I was totally lost. And so I went to Bible college. Just <laughs> totally, made, totally made sense to go. Actually, that's where I met Dimitri. Uh, went to Bible college. Because I thought, I, mean, I want to change. Something's got to happen. Um, and uh, I kind of viewed Bible college as like this giant moral laundry machine. You, like you, as long as you throw yourself in and you get tossed around for a while, you'll come out and like, right? I just saw, I just need a bigger zap, right? And something will happen. Uh, and what did God do? Did he zap me into perfection? Did he just take away my struggles? You know, I honestly, I was waiting for that. I was looking for that. You know, maybe it's a certain worship service I need to go to. Maybe it's a certain prayer. Maybe it's a certain spiritual practice I need to learn to zap this away from me. Uh, but that didn't happen. One thing that began to happen in Bible college was um, learning more about Jesus, which is a good thing going to Bible college. Uh, hopefully that happens. I began to learn more about who Jesus was. Uh, I knew things about God, but I began to hear things about God that I'd never heard before. And I heard the message. I, I'd always known about the message of the cross as a place to go with my sin, but then I began to hear about the cross being the place that I go to with my pain, with my wounding, that Jesus became human, not just to take away my sin, but so that he could actually relate to my pain, relate to my experience of human brokenness. I began to hear those kinds of messages, and I began to actually see people experiencing and interacting with this God who was emotional, compassionate, uh, and very down-to-earth. That was a new thing for me going to Bible college. I grew up in a small uh, Japanese church, and uh, as I kind of described my family, that was kind of our church too. Like, you know, these new worship songs would come like, I'm falling on my knees, nobody's on their knees, right? I lift my hands, and people are maybe like, like this, right? Like, no, no expression in worship, like, so kind of God seemed like this unexpressive, distant person, right? 
And I remember um, when I went to Bible college, people were crying and people were jumping around and people were talking about God's love. And it was like, wow, like God can actually meet people in that kind of a way in their heart. And so for me, instead of getting a zap, what I began to sense Jesus say was, you need to revisit your brother's death. And I think for many of us, we're looking for a zap, and when we actually listen to God, he'll tell us something different. I felt God say, you need to revisit your brother's death. And so what I did was, um, I think it was probably my second semester of Bible college, I, uh, I went to my parents' basement, and I watched my brother's funeral video uh, on VHS. And so I watched uh, the, the full funeral kind of by myself uh, in my parents' basement. And, you know, there's all the things in the funeral, the, the people sharing their stories and songs and all this kind of stuff. And at the very end is when everybody comes down the aisle and says goodbye to my brother uh, in his casket, and they say kind of condolences to my family who's lined up, and they, and they leave. Um, but at the end of the video, everyone's kind of gone, and then the video just keeps playing, and my mom is um, crying at my brother's casket. She can't let him go, right, for her firstborn son. And my pastor tries to encourage my dad to go comfort her, but my dad doesn't move. So my other brother goes and comforts my mom, and my sister's crying. And then in the video is me and my dad standing there, like stone cold, right? No expressionless, right? So I'm watching this video um, about seven years after the fact of my brother dying, and I began to cry for the first time. I began to feel like God was with me, that he wanted to hear my pain. He wanted to be near to me in that wounding in my life. And what began to happen was I began to become aware of this, this heart that I had stuffed away for so long, these longings and desires that I had stuffed away for so long. Um, and I, I, I remember consciously thinking, oh, this is what it's like to cry. Like I'd actually forgotten the sensation of crying by that point in my life. Um, and it was a pretty profound experience. And I'd like to say it's been easy from then on. That was the zap I was looking for. That was the mountaintop experience. But no, it's been a long journey since then because what I've had to learn in my journey is that I needed to kind of work on a lot of this stuff with God, right? All the stuff that I'd stuffed away and I'd never learned about. Intimacy. How do I have intimacy with people? How do I trust people? Um, who am I really? What's... What's my worth at core? Um, what's my value as a person? Like a lot of these really deep foundational questions I had to begin to kind of learn, like things you should learn in puberty. I was learning at like 21, right? Like how do I trust? How do I reach out to people? And began this long journey of untwisting the things that had become twisted up or shut down in my life. My desires, my longings for connection, healing, was not a one-time decision, and healing in our lives will not be a one-time decision. But I had to begin to live, learn how to live with this new heart with Jesus. My ongoing journey in healing and my sexual brokenness has been about continually learning that I can come to the cross in my shame, in my sin, in my confusion, and that it's a safe place to go there, He's a safe person. He understands my heart. And I can find comfort. I can find healing. I can find direction. I can find mercy. And it's about learning to do that over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons why our ministry is called Journey. This is a lifelong journey. It's not, a, it's not called One Zap Ministry. Uh, it's called Journey Ministry. Right? Because 
This unpacking takes a long time. There's layers to our brokenness, layers to it. God has absolutely, slowly but surely, brought huge changes to my struggles with pornography. I will absolutely say that and proclaim that. I, don't, I would say I have freedom from pornography, absolutely. Um, but God's desire wasn't simply that I'd stop looking at porn. For me, my issue was I need to deal with porn. But God saw a bigger picture. Um, because my pornography struggles had, really, had very little to do with sex. It wasn't about sex. It was all the ways that all of my good and healthy desires had become twisted up. Right? You and I, we've been, we're made in God's image. We're made to desire to connect with people. We have a longing to be known, to be loved, to be cared for. We, we long for touch. We long to be desired, right? And for me, it was learning about all those healthy things and how to do that with God, how to do that with people, right, over time. And as God began to transform those parts of my life, my struggles with pornography totally began to change. You know, like you don't, you don't need to go through McDonald's drive through when you've had a good, healthy meal at home, right? But if you're not getting fed, man, that McDonald's starts to look pretty good, right? And that was my struggle with pornography. I did not know intimacy. I did not know connection with God. I didn't know, I don't know what it meant to rest in God's presence. And so that's, that's why I went to porn. God began to root me deeper in his love, deeper in his presence, kind of like what I described to you at first. We're, we're made to connect with God, right? And to allow him to fill us in our deepest places of need to that he would give us our deepest sense of security, uh, groundedness. <sighs> right? He tells us who we are. He roots us. And then out of that place, we actually learn how to have healthier expectations of people. We can, out of that place, we can actually learn how to risk with people. Out of that place, we can learn self-control, right? Deeper, deep, deeply rooted in the love of God. Continues over time. It continues to happen in my life. I continue to need to process things in my life. Now, in my journey of healing and as in my journey of looking at issues of my own um, sexuality, and my wife's as well. I mean, I've been married for 13 years. We have three kids and my wife. We both brought baggage into our marriage. And we both had to unpack that, and we still have to unpack that. But over this process, I don't want to leave you with this sense in which um, I figured this stuff out on my own, because that's absolutely not the case. In my journey, I, I, I absolutely did begin to discover who God is, um, who Jesus is. Um, but one of the biggest things I've begun to discover is what the church is and what the church is called to be. Uh, for a long time, I tried to deal with stuff on my own, and God was doing some really amazing things in my, just in my personal, intimate life with him. Right, just speaking things to me, doing these things that nobody was a part of. Right? I wanted it to continue that way because I didn't want to tell people about my struggles. Right? Give me a book, please. Like most of you are like, if I'm like, do you want to sign up for a 20-week course or take this book? Same results. You guys are like, oh, I'll take the book. Right? I didn't want to talk about this with people, so I, I wanted to just do it on my own. But there, there came a time in my life where it's like I had to actually reach out to people. I had to actually talk to people because there was stuff I just couldn't figure out. There was stuff about my own brokenness, my own shame, my own confusion that I could not figure out on my own. And God had to really humble me to say and, and bring me to a place of actually reaching out to others. Shame kept me isolated, but I needed others. 
And for me, there were many people who walked with me, listened to me, prayed with me, heard my confessions, gave me wisdom in my own journey. There were people in my life, real tangible people who knew real and tangibly my life and what I struggled with. And I'll say this, some of the greatest headway and breakthrough in my life has come as I've, come, I've stepped into the light of community. Not just trusting God, but trusting God in the midst of people. And I think for many of us who struggle with sexual brokenness, that may be the case, that there's only so much we can do on our own, trying to journal, trying to reflect. For some of us, we need to take that step of stepping into community. But what I've discovered, as I've said, is the beauty of the church and the calling of the church. Because as I've allowed people to minister to me, to walk with me, um, it has absolutely blown away and, and blessed my life. As I have people who I can really say are brothers in this journey with me. As I truly look at people and I know their freedom and I know my freedom as we can journey together. So I've met Jesus at the foot of the cross, but I've come to the cross with others and discovered that healing absolutely take, can take place when we come together in Jesus' name. One of the callings, I think one of the greatest callings of the church, especially in our day and age, is for it to be a safe place where people can gather around the cross and find companionship and freedom together. One of the greatest callings of the church, I think, is to be that safe place. If there's any place in the world where we should be allowed to talk about our brokenness, it should be the church. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen? That's my hope with uh, the ministry I'm involved in. That's my hope. I'm sure that's the, your hope for your church as well. Uh, it's possible. Uh, God can actually absolutely bring uh, freedom in your life. Can I pray for you? I would love to pray for you. Um, will you stand up and... Uh, let me pray for you individually and as a community. I'm just going to encourage you, invite you to, um, to take that posture that I mentioned of uh, standing before the Lord. This is between you and God. Stand before the Lord and stand upright. If you believe in Jesus and if you believe that he has washed your sin away, stand upright before him. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can come with boldness to the throne of the Father. Okay, stand upright and, and turn your gaze towards him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, these men and women who are created in your image. I thank you that they bear the stamp of your image. And that no matter how twisted our, the, our desires have become, Lord, uh, we are not beyond redemption. None of us are beyond redemption. So lift your head. Look towards the Father. And the Father says to you today, you are my sons and daughters in whom I'm well pleased. Don't bow your head in shame. Look up to me. Look upright to me. And look into my face. Let my words cleanse you. Let my hands comfort you. Let my, let my breath enter your body and strengthen you. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, and, and for many of us, we confess today that we have often turned away from you and looked for other things to define us. We confess today, for many of us, we've looked to relationships and for people to fill a need that only you can, and we confess that before you. 
We confess today that we've often used our sexuality or our bodies in ways that are not honoring to you. And we confess that. We thank you that you cleanse us. We thank you for so many of the examples in the Gospels where Jesus poured out compassion and mercy on the sexually broken. And that mercy is here for us. So we confess that to you. Heavenly Father, we also just come before you. We come before the cross and we acknowledge our pain. Father, we, for many of us, our, our sexual struggles and our relational struggles are just a cry because of a pain we've experienced in our life. We're broken. We're wounded. We're hurting. And so we ask that you would begin to come and minister to those places of wounding. Take a minute in the Lord's presence. What is he speaking to you? Uh, we're counting ourselves out on God's mercy. We're saying the mercy of God is for others, but uh, my, my stuff's too big. Uh, I'm too dirty. I'm too unworthy. Uh, I think about the woman who just tried to touch the cloak of Jesus and, and felt like, you know, I'm not worthy. And yet Jesus turned and wanted full connection. And Jesus wants full connection with you. Don't be afraid uh, to open your life up to him. I just want to say a word of blessing uh, on you and on this church before um, we have a, a final song. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've made us again in your image, male and female. Would you show us the goodness of that for each of us individually, uniquely, how you've made us, the unique way you've created and shaped us. Help us to stand upright with confidence in your presence. And I do pray for this church, Erdia Alliance Church. Lord, would you continue to, to create more pockets of safety here, uh, experiences where people can, can truly come and confess and find wholeness, find freedom, find companionship. Uh, continue to grant vision, uh, for the leaders here. Uh, discernment about the spiritual battle uh, for the leadership here uh, at Erdia Alliance. Lord, we ask that you would continue to move in this community, in this body. Uh, continue to show us what it means to be transformed into your image and likeness. Amen.